Good morning, church. It is so good to see you. I love and appreciate you so very much. And it is a season of appreciation, isn't it? A season of gratitude and, and thankfulness. And I wonder if we were to do a little exercise, we don't have time to, to really do this this morning, but, but maybe it might be something that you do this afternoon or this evening, or maybe just something that you think about. If you were to make a list of things for which you're thankful, and, and many of you are already doing that this month, it's November, we're thinking about Thanksgiving, we're thinking about the things for which we're grateful, and so if you were to make a list of all the things for which you're thankful, and you could probably think of a lot of things, and you were to make a list of all the things that you wish would change, things that you wish, if you could snap your fingers and this would change, make a list of all of those things. Now, think about those two lists, the list of things for which you're thankful and the list of things that you wish would change in an instant. Which of those two lists would be easier to make? Which of those two lists would be easier to make? Now, I don't know about you, but I can think of a lot of things for which I'm thankful and grateful, but I think it would probably be easier to make the list of things I wish would change, right? I, I think that would be really simple. A, a, a dozen things come to mind right off the top of my head that I could think of even just about myself that I wish would change. If you could just snap your finger, these things would change. In fact, in fact, there may be somebody here this morning, maybe you are here this morning, or maybe somebody that's watching online, and the reason you're here, the reason you're here, the reason you've tuned in this morning is because you're trying to figure out how to make this thing change. Maybe it's something about you that you don't like. Maybe it's something about your situation, your circumstances that you don't like. Maybe it's something in the world that you don't like, something with other people that you don't like, something in your relationship that you don't like, something that you wish would change. And so you are dedicating so much of your energy, your mental energy, your spiritual energy is going to figure out how to make this change. And so much of your life is dedicated right now to, I wish this would wasn't the way that it is right now. And you're trying to figure out what do I need to do different? How can I do things better? Or what can I pray better in order to make this change? Now, I don't know every circumstance in here, and maybe there are some things, I'm sure there are some things in our life that should change and need to change and might change. But let me suggest something to us this morning. Maybe. Just maybe, entertain this possibility and this thought that maybe what you need isn't change, it's contentment. And to learn to be content with the way things are right now. You, you might have heard this prayer before. You've probably heard the serenity prayer before. And, and you're probably most familiar with the beginning of the serenity prayer, which says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's a good prayer, isn't it? And that's a good thing to be thinking about and, and praying about is the wisdom to know the difference between the things that I can change and the things that I can't change and the serenity to accept, 
to accept the things that I can't change. But I really like the full version of the serenity prayer. You may not have heard the full version, but the rest of it goes like this. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. That's a prayer we need to pray, isn't it? Acceptance, surrender, serenity, contentment. And I know maybe there's something inside of you right now that's saying, you don't know what you're talking about, Wes. You don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it is to to just be content with that, to just surrender to that, to just accept that, to, to have serenity about that. And you're right, I don't know, I don't know your situation. I don't know your situation. And maybe something does need to change, but maybe it's not going to change. And maybe, maybe the gospel can teach us to be content to have serenity, to surrender to God's will, and to understand that this is the way that it's going to be right now. Our our, our world doesn't like us to be content. Contentment is not something that the world is okay with, right? The world doesn't go round. At least our economy doesn't go round with contentment. The world is always telling us and giving us a million reasons why we shouldn't be content. Don't be content with who you are and what you have. Don't be content with your circumstances. Don't be content with your surroundings. The world is always pushing discontentment. Don't believe me? Turn on the TV for about five seconds, right? Turn on the TV for five seconds and the world is constantly telling you, don't be content with how you look. Don't be content with what you have. Don't be content with what you are. Don't be content with where you are. Don't be content with your circumstances. Don't be content with the people around you. Yet the gospel calls us to contentment. And that this is the way to be reasonably happy, reasonably joyful in this life, is to learn contentment. And so over the course of this month, I want to give us some reasons, some reasons to be content, some reasons to be satisfied, some reasons to accept what is. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but before we get into the text, let me kind of give some background Now, in Corinth, in the first century, there are some people that are teaching some things uh, to the Corinthian church that are just not right. And these false teachers, they, they like to tell how strong they are, how big they are, how smart they are, how powerful they are. And they like to boast about themselves and brag about themselves. They have quite an impressive resume. But these teachers are taking advantage of the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is listening to them and accepting what they have to say, and and they are manipulating and taking advantage of the Christians there, and Paul is so upset and frustrated because they're listening to these people that are boasting about their strength and their wisdom and their insight and their spirituality, and Paul is trying to help them to understand that these are not the teachers to listen to, but I love what Paul has to say about himself 
and his own ministry. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19. Paul writes this, For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. So he says, these these so-called strong and powerful, very wise teachers that you're listening to, they're they're robbing you. They're taking advantage of you. They're, They're making you believe that there's something that they're not. And he says, we were too, quote unquote, weak to take advantage of you. We were too weak to rob you. We were too weak to manipulate you. We were too weak to make slaves of you. Look at verse 22. He says about these these teachers, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm a better one. And he says, "I'm, I'm talking more imprisonments and with countless beatings and often near death. Paul says, I'm exactly like they are. They're exactly like me, except for this one thing. We're exactly the same, except for the fact that I'm weaker than they are. What? That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? They're exactly like me. I'm exactly like them. They're Hebrews. They're Israelites. They're servants of Christ. Yes, yes, yes. I'm all of those things, but I'll tell you what. Here's why I'm a better servant of Christ than they are. I'm weaker than they are. That's so That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? It's weird for him to be talking about how he's not as impressive, he's not as strong, he's not as powerful, he's weaker than they are. He says, in addition to these labors and imprisonments and beatings and often near death, he says in verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst and without food, in cold and exposure... And he goes on, verse 28, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? So Paul says, here's my resume. You want to know my resume? You want to know how I'm a servant of Jesus? Look at my weakness. Look at my brokenness. He he doesn't talk about how many sermons he's given. He doesn't say, I've given countless sermons. He doesn't talk about how many people that he's baptized. He doesn't tell how many miracles he's performed. He doesn't say how many churches he's planted. He doesn't talk about how many teachers and preachers he's mentored. He doesn't boast about his faith or his spirituality or his maturity. He simply says, I am weak. I'm utterly unimpressive. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been adrift at sea. I'm always running for my life. I'm always in danger. There's always somebody out to get me. And I'm not bigger or badder or stronger or more powerful than any of them. 
I am an utterly unimpressive person. He says, verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my, what? Weakness. If I must boast, I will boast only in the things that show my weakness. He doesn't talk about any of his successes. Does Paul have successes? Sure, Paul had plenty of successes, but I don't want to talk about any of those. Does Paul have strengths? Sure, Paul has strengths. I don't want to talk about any of those. I want to talk about my weakness. I want to talk about my failures. Because anybody who boasts about their successes and their strengths doesn't understand how the kingdom works. Anybody who boasts about their successes and their strengths doesn't understand how the kingdom works. And that that describes these false teachers that are working in Corinth. The people that they're listening to who are boasting about how strong they are and how smart they are and how spiritual they are and how many successes they've had and how many baptisms they've had and how many sermons they've taught and how many churches they've planted. Paul says, I don't want to talk about any of that. Here's my resume. I am utterly unimpressive. I am constantly being hurt and injured. I'm constantly in danger. I'm constantly stressed out about all of the churches. And every time somebody falls, I hurt with them. Every time somebody's weak, I'm weak with them. This is my life. Verse 31. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under Aretas under King Aretas, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. Like, that's his climax story here, right? That's his climax story. I ran and hid, right? How many action movies you watch that that's the climax of the movie? I ran and hid. There was a guy, he was out to get me, he was going to hurt me, and so I got in a basket, and I, I slipped out the window, and I ran and hid. Paul is not talking about his successes. He's talking about his failures. He's not talking about his strengths. He's talking about his weaknesses. My resume, I'm only going to give you the things in which I'm weak. I'm only going to show you how unimpressive I am. If I'm going to tell you why you should listen to me and why I'm really the servant of Jesus, then I'm going to tell you about how weak I am. I'm going to tell you about how, how many failures I've had. I'm going to tell you about how, many, how often I've had to run and hide and how often there's people out to get me and I've been hurt and injured and stressed out. And at the end of my rope, he says in chapter 12 and verse 1, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, you can imagine that the people he's speaking against, these other false teachers, I'm sure they had lots to say about how many visions they had and how many revelations they had. And, oh, they could go on and on about their visions and revelations. Oh, God showed me this, and God talked to me about that, and I can tell you what the Lord said to me. And, oh, the other day I was walking down the road, and Jesus said to me this, and Jesus said to me that. And so you might think that that's what Paul's going to say next, but he says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ. Now, as we keep reading in the text, it'll become obvious that this man that Paul knows is is him. It's, It's himself. But Paul isn't going to put himself in that scenario because he doesn't want to tell us anything. He doesn't want to tell the church at Corinth anything that makes him look good. 
He doesn't want to boast about anything as far as a strength goes, something impressive. So if he's going to talk about a, a revelation that somebody had, a vision that someone had, then he's going to put a hypothetical person in there as opposed to himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. I'm, I'm only going to tell you how weak I am. I'm only going to tell you about the failures I've had. I've only, I'm only going to tell you about the struggles I've experienced. I'm, I'm not going to tell you anything about my impressiveness or my strength or my spirituality or my maturity. Verse 7, so to keep me from being conceited, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So again, if it was some other man's revelations, Paul wouldn't be given a thorn in the flesh. He's only given a thorn in the flesh because they were his revelations, but he doesn't want to talk about his revelations. He only wants to talk about his thorn. Now, there's all different ideas about what Paul's thorn in the flesh might be. Some people think it might be a physical ailment or it might be some persecution that he was experiencing. Maybe even specific people who were persecuting him. Doesn't really matter. I don't really want to talk about what Paul's thorn in the flesh might be. What, what matters is that it was painful and it was persistent. And you have something like that in your life too, don't you? Something painful and something persistent. Something that you desperately wish would change. Something that feels like a messenger of Satan. And Paul says, I had this thorn in the flesh. I have this thorn in the flesh. Something that's painful and persistent. But Paul sees it this way. He says that it's given to me so that I don't become what? Conceited. Paul says, it's better for me to live in pain than in pride. I would rather live in pain than I would in pride. Whew. That's tough, isn't it? Let's just stop and think about that for a second. Can we say the same thing? Would we be willing to say the same thing? I would rather live in pain than I would in pride. I would rather live an uncomfortable life, a painful life. I would rather have this thing in my life that is painful and persistent than I would to become proud and conceited. I would rather live in pain than I would in pride. Verse 8, so he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul's in good company, isn't he? Jesus also pleaded with the Lord that the cup that he was about to drink on the night that he was betrayed, that it would pass from him. Paul prays, please, 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 Lord, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I hate it and it hurts 
and it's painful. I want this to be finished and I want this to be done and I don't want to live with this anymore. And church, it's okay to pray that things change. Of course we would pray that things change. Of course we don't like our thorn in the flesh. Of course we don't like it when things are painful. Of course we don't like it when that pain persists. Of course, even if we can see that it's better to live in pain than in pride, we'd rather not live with either of them, right? I don't want to deal with this. And it's okay to plead with the Lord. It's okay to beg the Lord. It's okay to raise your voice to the Lord and say, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to live with this. I don't want this to be my situation. I don't want this to be my circumstance. And too often we say that Jesus responded to Paul, no, I disagree. Jesus doesn't respond to Paul's pleading with a no. It's rather cold and callous, isn't it? It's rather apathetic to simply say no. Jesus doesn't simply say no. And I don't think that in your situation, if you've been dealing with something painful and persistent for years and you've pleaded with the Lord over and over again, please let this pass and, and you still are dealing with it. I don't think Jesus' answer to you is simply no because that would, that would seem like he doesn't care and Jesus doesn't respond to Paul no. In fact, Jesus gives him a very specific answer. Here's what he says in verse 9. But he said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a whole lot better than no, isn't it? That's a whole lot better than no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. We have a very diluted definition of grace. We have a very diluted definition of grace. We have a very little definition of grace. We think grace just means forgiveness for bad stuff we've done. Grace is so much more than that, church. Grace is so much more than forgiveness. It's all of the gifts that Jesus gives. All the gifts that Jesus gives, that's his grace. It's the relationship that Jesus has with Paul. It's all the blessings that Jesus is giving to Paul. And he says, that relationship and all of these blessings and my connection to you and my promises to you and what I'm doing with you and I'm doing to you and I'm doing for you and what I will do for you in the future, all of this is sufficient for you. This is enough. This is enough. Think about all the things I've given to you. Think about all the things I am giving you. Think about all the things I will give you. And this is sufficient for you. But it doesn't even stop there. It doesn't stop there to simply say, you have a thorn in the flesh and you're pleading with God, please change my situation. And Jesus says, think about all I've given you. Think about what I've done for you. That's enough. The answer doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, because my grace is sufficient for you because or for, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That word perfect means it, it reaches its goal. It, it accomplishes what it set out to accomplish. Power always has a goal, doesn't it? Power always has a goal. Nobody 
wants power or seeks power or exercises power without a goal. There's a goal to the power. I want to change something. I want to do something. I want to make things better. I want to defeat my enemies. Power has a goal. And Jesus says, my power reaches its goal. My power accomplishes its mission. My power is made perfect, not in strength, but in weakness. I mean, think about it. How did Jesus accomplish his mission? Through the weakness of the cross. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a stallion. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus didn't take up his sword. He took up his cross. Jesus' power reaches its its conclusion. It's perfected not in strength, but in weakness. His power is perfected not in strength, but in weakness. And what was true in Paul's life is also true in your life. Jesus' power is perfected in your life, in our lives. It is perfected not in your strength, but in your weakness. And we're obsessed with becoming stronger. We're obsessed with getting rid of our weakness. We're obsessed with saying, I can't do anything for Jesus. I can't accomplish anything for the Lord until my circumstances change, until I'm not so weak anymore, until I'm strong. And Jesus says, nonsense. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is how I accomplish my mission. It's not in your strength. It's in your weakness. And so Paul concludes, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, here's our word, content. I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am, what church? Strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Not when I am strong, then I am strong. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the power of Jesus is made perfect, not in our strength, but in our weakness. Now notice Paul says, for the sake of Christ, and so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's because Paul's eyes are fixed on Jesus. And Paul would rather be useful than comfortable. Paul would rather be useful than comfortable. Let me say it one more time. Paul would rather be useful than comfortable. Which which would we rather? Would we rather be useful to Jesus that the power of Christ may rest upon us? That for the sake of Christ, so that Christ's power can be made perfect in us, It's not going to happen through your strength. It's not going to happen through your wealth. It's not going to happen through your beauty. It's not going to happen through your talent. It's not going to happen through your being comfortable. It's going to happen through your weakness. And when you are weak, 
That's when you're strong. That's when, for the sake of Christ, you are strong. That's when the power of Christ rests on you. Is not when you're strong, but when you are weak. But we have to decide, I would rather be useful to Jesus than I would be comfortable in my strength. This is what it looks like to accept this upside-down way of living, to be content in our weakness, understanding that Jesus doesn't need our strength. He needs our surrender. And this is one way we can be content. We can be content knowing that Jesus makes more use of our weakness than our strength. What if we were to accept that and believe that? That Jesus makes more use of our weakness than our strength. Some of us are obsessed with being strong and, and thinking that Jesus can't use us until we're strong. Jesus can't use us until we're better. Jesus can't use us until our situation changes. Let me share a personal story with you. Last week, recently, my, my dad fell and broke his hip. And last week, he was in the hospital in San Angelo having, after having hip surgery and waiting to be able to walk and waiting for his circumstances to change. And my dad's not an elder. He's not a preacher. He's not a deacon. He's not a Bible class teacher. But he decided that he was going to use his hospital bed as a place not just to be ministered to, but to minister to others. And last Sunday morning, there was a, a, a nurse in his room, and, and she said that she was missing being at, at church. And it turns out she was a member at a congregation there in town where he was, and, and, and she was really sad that she couldn't be in worship that morning. And so he said, I'll tell you what, if you can find some supplies for communion, you bring them in here, and we'll take communion together. She went down to the kitchen, and she found some supplies for, for communion, and she found another young lady that worked in the kitchen that was a member at the same congregation, and she had brought all of the, the, the stuff, and as well as that other young lady, and my dad presided over the, the Lord's Supper from his hospital bed. And it wasn't, it wasn't in spite of his weakness that he was able to minister to those two young ladies. It was because of it. Because of his situation, because of his brokenness, because of his weakness, he had the opportunity for Christ's power to rest on him. And the same is true in your situation and your circumstance. As you're waiting for it to change, as you're praying for it to get better, as you're pleading for that thorn in the flesh to be removed from you, don't forget that Christ's power isn't perfected in strength but in weakness, and that Jesus makes more use of our weakness than he does our strength. And what we're doing when we're baptized is we're surrendering to that, aren't we? When we're baptized into Jesus, we are surrendering not just our strengths, not just our ability, not just our wealth, not just our power, but also our weakness. And when we come together as a church family, we often say that we're brighter together, that's what we are, isn't it? We're brighter together. But it's not because we bring all of our strength together. It's because we bring all of our weakness together as well. And Christ's power is perfected in our weakness. And when we recognize our shared weaknesses, our shared brokenness, then the power of Christ can rest upon us. I, 
I don't know about you, but I've, I've never really built a, a relationship with somebody over their strength. Have you? Nobody's ever boasted to me and said, Wes, you know, I'm really good at this thing. And I thought, wow, that really makes me want to be best friends with you. It never happens. But it does happen the other way, that when someone reveals their vulnerability and their weakness and their hurt, that bonds me together with them. That's what we all have in common. Isn't our, our strengths? We have strengths, and your strengths are good and wonderful, but it's our weakness that binds us together in the power of Christ. And it's through our weakness that Jesus is working. So if we can help you this morning, if you're ready to be baptized into Jesus or you just need prayers or encouragement, our shepherds would love to meet with you. Or right now, you can come forward as we stand and sing this song.